This is a tribute. A tribute to Bryce Beamer, better known to all of us as the Lone Ranger. He entertained millions of us as we grew up. He was to an entire generation of people who were weaned on radio drama. The voice of honesty, justice, and law and order in the Old West. 30 minutes from now, you will hear one of the original Lone Ranger programs. One you haven't heard for probably 20 years or so. Complete with The Masked Man, its faithful Indian companion Tonto, the evildoers brought to justice plot, and all the rest of it. As you know, all of us were shocked and saddened when Brace Beamer died suddenly earlier this week at the age of 62. He will be very much missed. And his booming voice, uttering the familiar cry of... Silver Away will always strike a nostalgic twinge for all of us. Mr. Beamer was born in Mount Carmel, Illinois on December 9, 1903. At the age of 14, he enlisted in the Army to become the youngest soldier in the American Expeditionary Forces in World War I. He then served 111 consecutive days in the trenches in France. He began his radio career as an announcer and an actor in Indianapolis in 1922, about the same time radio had its birth, by the way. He came to Detroit with WXYZ in 1932, and the following year, The Lone Ranger made its debut on the air. In a recent interview with Mr. Beamer, I asked him how long he had been with The Ranger. Well, I made the first appearance on the horse in 1933, the same year it started, uh-huh. and the pictures were all of me and, and the entire show. He was, however, not the only Lone Ranger. You see, we had three Lone Rangers. What now, who, who were they, in order? I think the first one's name was Deeds, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I could be, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not. He was uh, the Lone Ranger for a relatively short Very time. Very short time. And George Seaton, as you know. Right. And Earl Grouser, uh-huh. who was killed. And I think, I'm not sure of the year I went back in, 1938, I think. I played the last 17 years. The second most important character on the Lone Ranger was Tonto. Tonto, his faithful Indian companion, played by John Todd. Were they close personal friends in real life? Not very, no. You no, we, we were friends, and but we we weren't friends socially. I, John had his group. John was a little older than I was. Uh-huh. See, John was in his 80s when he died. That's right. And uh, he had his classes, and he had his drama classes, which I, were, I wasn't at all interested in. So but, that, uh, that great camaraderie, that classic friendship was strictly confined to the show, right? Oh, that's correct. Tonto yeah. and the Master. Aiki Mosabi. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Brace, yes. tell us. What does Kimosabi really mean? Tai means hail in Potawatomi. Kimosabi means faithful friend. So put them together. Tai, Kimosabi, hail faithful friend. Beamer was a man of great good humor and loved to tell these stories about the man who played Tonto. John Todd loved to double parts and he had several voices. Yeah. He liked to double an Englishman's part. So one time he's doubling this Englishman in the same show and he's riding on the stagecoach. And a jackrabbit's supposed to run out alongside the stagecoach. John is supposed to say, I think I'll chance a shot, you know. <laughs> and he's making the motion with his hand to give the appearance like I'm doing now, riding, you yeah. see. Uh-huh. And he's supposed to shoot. His next line is, ah, a hit. Instead of that, when the director threw him the cue, after the shot, he said, ah, a cue. <laughs> <laughs> that was another, another funny one. The town and I were up in the hotel room searching these outlaws' luggage and baggage and so forth and so on. At the end, I'm supposed to say, all right, Tonto, there's nothing here. Let's get back to camp. Uh-huh. And John says, oh, Kimosabe, 
Get him up, Scout. <laughs> We're in the second floor hotel room. <laughs> Another voice familiar to the millions of Lone Ranger fans was the voice of the narrator, Fred Foy. Uh, you'll recall his stirring introduction. It went like this. A fiery horse with a speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high old silver. The Lone Ranger. Fred Foy is now with ABC in New York, and we contacted him by phone yesterday and asked him about Brace Beamer. Well, I can say, number one, he was a, a good friend and, uh, to me, a wonderful person because he carried over uh, the character uh, of the Lone Ranger into his personal life. Uh, in fact, uh, to me, he was the, he was the Lone Ranger, uh, whether on the microphone or off, and uh, he brought this character to life. Uh, to a great deal of uh, youngsters, both on the air and off the air. I know it was uh, uh, one of his uh, prime purposes uh, to visit uh, children's hospitals, uh, where many youngsters, of course, idolized the Lone Ranger. This was to them a real-life hero. And there were many instances where, uh, in just uh, going in uh, in his uh, full uh, regalia as the Lone Ranger, the mask and so on, uh, that this would uh, give these youngsters quite a tremendous lift and uh, he was just, a, to me, a, a very good friend and a, a wonderful person, and it was quite a shock to learn that uh, uh, of his sudden uh, passing. The second part of Brace Beamer's career, as we all know, developed just a few weeks ago. A series of commercials were produced with his voice and some nostalgic moments from the Lone Ranger program itself. Well, the man whose idea it was is here with us tonight. Don Dolan of Young and Rubicam Advertising Agency here in Detroit. Don, when did the idea happen and how did it come about? Well, about three or four months ago, which is, I think was about two months before we started to put the stuff on the air, uh, we did a demo tape with Grace for another product. Uh -huh. And because of his style of delivery and so forth, it just it never uh, uh, developed. But then we were asked or by our local clients if they wanted to do something that sort of pinned down the fact that Chrysler uh, was started here, was still built here, and so forth. So one thing led to another. We said, my goodness, Brace is living out in Oxford and uh, the star of a show that originated here and made good nationally. And uh, so we just naturally tied the thing. It was Detroit's hometown car and Detroit's hometown radio show. About, uh, can I say one thing? Sure. Well, I wish I'd like to. Uh, the day that we called up Brace and asked him to do this, there's only one thing he said to me, and he said, uh, uh, sure, I'll do it uh, if it's in good taste. And uh, this to me sums up the whole man. You know, the thing, the thing that amazes me, uh, the Lone Ranger went off the air the last time in 1955, and I can't ever recall hearing Brace Beamer's voice since then and, until this period. So was it, uh, who discovered, you know, that Brace Beamer was in Oxford, Michigan, and how did the name pop up again? Did, was it your idea? Uh, did you dream it up one night? Or? No, the, the basic idea was uh, my idea, but... Uh, Brace, we were all aware of Brace being around, but we felt that, I don't know, for some reason we figured that, well, he just wouldn't want to do so. Well, he had been in retirement. Yeah, and uh, if we figured he wanted to stay with his horses and not be bothered, you know, coming in out of town making commercials. But I think, uh, and at least Brace indicated that he was having a heck of a time uh, when he was doing these, because he was really enjoying it. Yeah, and, uh, Wait, we can was, tell that when we talk yeah, to him. It was, it was a great uh, privilege on my part to work with him, because like you, and uh, like everybody else over 30, I think that uh, this man is a... Uh, an inseparable part of your childhood. There were naturally hundreds of people connected with the Lone Ranger in one way or another during its first 22 years on the air. And we have some of them with us tonight to reminisce about Brace Beamer and the program. And many of the voices you will recognize immediately. We have the actors with us, Paul Hughes, Raleigh Parker, Jay Michael, Ernie Wynn Stanley, 
One of the early directors on the program, Chuck Livingston. Red Flower Day, one of the latter-day directors and a man who's been with the show for a long time. Chuck, I think, in, in terms of longevity with the show, is the oldest among us right now. Not in terms of age, Chuck. Oh, that's true, too. When did the Rangers start? Were you there? I wasn't there at the beginning. It started in January of 1933, and I joined the... Company of the cast around uh, August of 1933. So it was just a few months old. Yes, and Grace at that time was uh, chief announcer and studio manager of WXYZ. What were you doing when you joined the cast? I was an actor, and uh, because, uh, probably because of my voice, uh, I was the heavy on most of the early Lone Ranger programs. You played a lot of heavies in your day, didn't in you? In fact, from, I would say, 1933 to 1938, when I was fortunate enough to become a uh, the dramatic director of The Lone Ranger. I believe I played more heavies than any other man in the United States. Who, uh, whose idea was The Lone Ranger? Now, you were there just a few months after it began. Well, I believe uh, the story which uh, I believe is that George W. Trindle wanted to create a character, a Robin Hood character with a Western background. Uh-huh. And I think that was the basis for starting, and I believe then that Jim Jewell, who was then director of The Lone Ranger... Was he the first director? Yes, he was. Yeah. And he uh, searched around and came up with this writer from Buffalo by the name of Fran Stryker. Mm-hmm. And Fran had been writing a play with a Western character, not based exactly the way Mr. Trundle wanted it, but from that they got together and The Lone Ranger was conceived. And when it started, was it on a regular three times a week basis, or how, how was it run? Yes, sir, it was a 7.30 in the evening play, Monday, Wednesday, and, and Friday. And it always remained that way. And uh, uh, it, it, it developed the, uh, it was the originator of the mutual broadcasting system. That's right. I understand that they developed Mutual only because to accommodate the lonely. That's right. They wanted it. Uh, Gordon Baking Company had uh, purchased the, the show, and they wanted it in the Chicago market, the Cincinnati market, the New York market, and uh, the Detroit market. What was Brace Beamer's affiliation with it in 1933? In 1933, Brace was the narrator, a very important part of the Lone Ranger show. Fred Flower Day, who now... Uh, uh, takes care of all the Lone Ranger tapes and guards them with his life has them locked up in a vault mm-hmm. has been with the show for a long time too when did you start, friend? I started in uh, late 1934 what were you doing? Uh, well, um, I was hired by George W. Trendle and uh, he sent me down to see Brace that was the first time I saw Brace and uh, Brace was then station manager and uh, so Brace sent me up to see Jim Jewell who was then director and uh, I started doing sound effects opening and closing doors and uh uh, working with Ted Robertson, who was then uh, the chief sound technician, and I understand. By the way, I think I should point out that at that time Fred was was nothing but an acne-faced young teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Right. Tell us about some of the sound effects. Now, in those days, there weren't any recorded sound effects, were there? No, most of our sound effects were done uh, manually. I mean, by uh, we had a large sound effects staff. I think there were four mm-hmm. at the time when I started, and. Uh, uh, our gunshots were done uh, manually. We had no recorded gunshots. How would you, how would you do a manual gunshot? Well, strangely uh, enough, the first gunshot was a, uh, a rat trap uh, that was fastened to a large uh, a thunder drum. Uh-huh. And on cue, when the gunshot was called for, why, one of us would spring this rat trap and it would go on the thunder drum and give the effect of a gunshot. Well, you couldn't do any rapid firing, could you? Uh, <laughs> That's as fast as you could work this rat trap, I presume. <laughs> but then we went to a, uh, an improvement over that. We, we had uh, large cardboard boxes that uh, we'd use uh, and hit these boxes with a stick. The famous uh, series of gunshots, the sixth the opening. 
were done by a sound technician as he did this large cardboard carton. <laughs> Tell us about some of the other early sound effects, the horses who... Well, the hoofbeats progressed in the same way the gunshots did. Uh, they were done manually, of course, and they always have been. But we did the rhythm of the horses galloping on our knees with our hands. And then it progressed... How, how would you do that? You would just slap your thigh? We'd slap our thighs. That's yeah. a bad beat right there. I'm not used to it. Sure, I'll take it to Belle Island. And, <laughs> <laughs> and we did that too, didn't we, Ronnie? Yes, we did. And then we took... Uh, we it would uh, hair cut with our hands and rhythm of the other. Uh, yeah, that was a very soft turf. Yeah, yeah. And then from that we went to the the sink plungers, the short-handled sink plungers that we uh, would uh, clop together in rhythm, yeah. one against the other. And then as we we were continually trying to get better sounds, and I think uh, we prided ourselves in our sound department. Our sound effects were we tried hard. I think we got some good ones. But we went to a, a gravel box. It was filled with gravel, uh, a little foot and a half deep, and we would. Uh, vertically plunge the sink plunges into the gravel to give us the sound of the sound. Like galloping down yeah. the trail. And sound effects were so much a part of radio drama. As we all know, it's all imagery. It's what the mind envisions. And I can't imagine anybody listening to a Lone Ranger program ever think of when they heard the horses galloping of a couple of plungers in a box of gravel. Well, we'd change the train, too. If we had the, uh, the Ranger and Tower going in uh, sandy soil, why we would, there'd be one box, a part of the box reserved for uh, that particular material. If they were going through underbrush, we would put uh, broom corn. Uh, to get the sound of the horses going through. Uh, we even went so far as the, uh, and the director called for the sound of the bridle uh, as we would... How would you do that? With a, with a leather chain and a bell? Or a piece of leather and a bell? Or yeah, we'd, uh, we actually had some bits of, right. of bridle that we would hold in our hands. So when the horse is galloping, why we'd have the jingle in, in time with uh, the gait of the horse. Then when the horse would uh, jump a chasm, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, one mountainside to the other, about well, forty feet. How would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> we just stopped galloping, Jay. Uh, Jay then pause. Then Fred, when the horses went over the bridge, yeah, we would uh, we would switch from the gravel box to other side and be down on a, a wood floor, and we'd invert the the sink plungers and do the, the hard wood handles on the sink on the wood floor to give the sound of the horses on the Who would give the cues for all this? Now you had one director and then Chuck Chuck was the director at the time. You you were doing most of these manual effects. Would you have to cue the actors and the sound effects right. people all at the same time? Yes, sir. That took a lot of synchronization. It did if we uh, to keep your fingers crossed. Well this this group and these boys uh, we were they were Show after show after show, and, and, and they became used to this method. It was uh, different than most dramatic shows and that we had a separate studio for sound effects so that we could set a level that wouldn't drown out the voice when the actors were in a different studio. Mm -hmm. And uh, this way we kept a balance between the voice and the sound so that it was easy to understand. Remember with the music, Fred? Oh, yeah. When the ranger first went on the air, there were complaints that the music was too loud. Well, the engineers were carrying this at a zero level, and uh, on the what do they call that? The volume control. Volume control. And the music, even it wasn't slapping over the zero, but it was too loud, and we get letters of complaint, and Mr. Kendall would get at us, and. Finally, uh, we decided the thing to do was to hold the music at a minus four and peak the voices at zero. And from that time on, people did not have to touch their radio sets when the music came on and pull it down. Now, speaking of the music, the uh, William Tell Overture, for as long as any of us live, will be uh, not the William Tell Overture, but the Lone Ranger theme. Was it always the Lone Ranger theme? Yes, the first one. They tried, uh, one time they did try the Light Cavalry Overture, but this didn't carry the feeling that they wanted. It was the only one that was used on the air. One of the uh, most celebrated and publicized change of voices, you'll recall, was uh, when Bobby Green's voice changed. 
Another one, equally important and equally traumatic, I'm sure, to the guy involved, was the man who played the Lone Ranger's nephew, Dan Reed, Ernie Winstanley. When did you start as Dan Reed? Well, in early 34, right after Chuck, as a matter of fact, Chuck used to pick me up. And I played that uh, for about three years, as I recall, two or three years, and my voice changed, and then uh, I graduated into the sound department under Fred. I had been doing a little bit of sound. But how, how did they write you out of the script, Ernie? Well, they Henry? didn't. So they, uh, there were about, all told, as I recall, five or six different Dan Reeves. He was not in every show, of course. He was in maybe one out of 12. Uh, that's, that's right. right. Some, something... Uh, it had to be a heartbreaking experience for you when you find your voice getting lower and lower. Well, I think he kind of liked it because, I mean, he got to play these young, manly, yeah. juveniles, these handsome heroes. Well, Ernie, really, you actually grew up with the Lonely Oh, yes. And right. Tell us about the different parts you played. Proceed from where you were Dan Reed after your voice changed. Uh, then I played mostly the, the, the dashing young juvenile rights until uh, I was a good guy. Uh, pretty much in those days. Yeah, yeah. Until 1941, when I went to service, and then when I came back, that uh, started me playing just uh, all different types of characters that we all did. You never knew what you were going to play until you appeared at rehearsal. You had no idea what character. Well, we all did that, Lynn. Uh, that voice, uh, ladies and gentlemen, belongs to Jay Michael. Jay uh, is one of the most easily, has one of the most easily recognized voices, I think. You all will recognize it when you hear him speak. How long were you with the Ranger? Well, I uh, hate to say it, but I arrived on the scene about 29 years ago. Yeah. And how, how many different parts do you figure you played? Just about everything. I think I played more villains than anything else, though. But, uh, you were classified sure. as a heavy. A heavy, yes, because right. a heavy voice. You can't do much with it, lighten it up. Well, I know you played some old-timers. Uh, uh, sure, I played old-timers. <laughs> <laughs> but in later years, he was, Chuck was Black Bart originally, and then Jay was Black Bart. Oh, was you, Black, yeah. were you the Lone Ranger's yeah. arch-rival, Black Bart? Oh, yeah. Give us the Black Bart voice. Do you recall it? <laughs> I'm telling you, Mask Man, I got you covered with this gun. One move and you're out of the picture, you understand? <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> That brings up another point. All, 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 of you, all of you who are actors on the show had to go through these tremendous sounds uh, indicating to the, to the audience listening that you were doing something, something physical. You were getting shot or you were in a fight. Would you do this just naturally? Do this just naturally as you were doing the script? Was it indicated in the script? In other words, if you were socked, Black Bart. Oh, no, they didn't put sock in the script, no. All right. Well, well there's a man standing in front of you with a pad and a fist and he'd go like that. And you'd take an immediate reaction. Oh, and you'd back up a little bit as if you fell back. Yeah. Then come in again. And a lot of times the fights would be going back and forth. And they had a fist fight. We, we all... approached you always. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. And you just smile. Would, would you also get breathless? Fight if you, you know, oh, yeah. a fight. Oh, yeah. you just do this automatically. You even had footsteps in the end of the bar on the bar. Yeah. Man walking across. Sometimes they said, well, you couldn't hear a man walking across the bar. It was noisy, but we had him. Well, they had spurs on and things like oh, that yeah. that they had. Mm -hmm. uh, sound for. Well, due to this uh, physical work they did, we always played an arm's distance from the microphone. We never crawled up close to the microphone because you couldn't react physically if you were that close to the phone. Yeah. The microphone. Uh, another one of the most easily recognized voices in the country is uh, the voice that belongs to Paul Hughes. Paul, when did you join the Ranger? Oh, I just was a new member. I didn't come in about 1939. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I always recall you as the sheriff. Yes, we never knew from day to day what you were going to do. Yeah, but most of the time you were a good guy, weren't you? Weren't you on the side of law and order most of the time? Uh, I'd say about 50% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd kill one day and... 
and not to the next. Yeah. I think one of the characters that Paul developed yeah. uh, was very familiar to everybody was uh, the Thunder Martin. Thunder Martin. Yeah. 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 Tell us about Thunder Martin. Who is he now? We call it. Well, Thunder Martin is the Wally Bailey Wally Bailey character. Yeah. Didn't, didn't you all do many different parts in any given Lone Ranger episode? Oh, yes. Well, well, I wish Raleigh would tell the story. Raleigh uh, double tunneled quite a lot when John Todd was on vacation. Unfortunately, I, I think didn't he know that. a very funny story about uh, the woman that called after a broadcast. Oh, during a, uh, well, John Todd, who was a flying tonto, during one vacation period uh, somehow or other, Mr. Livingston Chuck put me in a tonto for a couple of weeks. And uh, uh-huh. after one show... I was lousy. After one show, there was a phone call Chuck told me about. He tried to coach me and help me. I can't use the word, but the, the lady said, that, that's an Indian? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the only time you played Tonto for those two weeks? Uh, four weeks altogether. Then uh, that was it. Did you just soon forget that? that very sure would. <laughs> How would you do uh, several different parts in, in one show? Would you, ever, would you ever have one speech as one character, for example, and then, you know, run into yourself? In other words, have a conversation with yourself? No, it, they're written sometimes that way, but the director, Chuck Livingston, would fix it so that you'd have uh, plenty of time to go from, well, howdy, man, to uh, something like, uh, that's enough out of you now. Yeah. You couldn't do it immediately, but he'd have some other speeches in between. You know, with all, we all, now, most of those Lone Ranger episodes were done live. There was no tape in those days, so it had to be, you know, it had to be perfect. There was no fluffing allowed, and there were very few. Fluffing allowed. There must have been some interesting, maybe amusing experiences that you guys remember. Tell me a lot of that. You might have forgotten, you fellas. Uh, John Hodiak, who's not with us now, he got a line as a big hero as he backed up the mic to say, I'm off to the execution. And at the time, he was taking voice lessons. And he said, I'm, I'm off to the elocution. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, it would seem to me that that would send a nervous cast into gales of laughter. It How would. It would. <laughs> you, you, guys did, you guys didn't even react. Sometimes, but when you look in your face in the control room, you soon regain your poise. With <laughs> <laughs> a little blue in the face? <laughs> a little bit. Or you disappear down below the counter. <laughs> How about some of the other, you know? Let me tell one of my men that Brian told on an interview last year of uh, Frank Russell, dear soul, played character parts with us, was playing a sheriff one night. And he and the posse had located the gang of crooks, and it was at night, and they had their little camp in a circle surrounded by a forest. Well, Frank deployed his men all around a certain signal. They were all to come in, and uh, he would say, all right, gents, get your guns up. So the time came, and he stepped on the clerk, and he says, all right, gents, get your guns up. All right, gents, get your guns up. I'll shoot them. <laughs> and you always recovered. Now, did the script... It was always timed, of course, to run just a half hour, wasn't it, Chuck? Exactly. That's right, yes, sir. We, we were fortunate. I don't believe we ever ran over one shred. This is network. Did, did, was there ever time when you had to cut some lines? Oh, yes. Sometimes we had to cut quite a bit. Well, how, how would you do this? How would the, uh, you know, when would you, you were doing this live, and I assume oh, no, you decided to cut the lines right then and there? Oh, no. This was to... Chuck, I think it would be interesting uh, to, to give a sort of a production schedule as how we did the show, uh... From uh, these actors came in with a cold script, Joe. They never right. had seen it before. The rehearsal was called. It we, was just give a. We had three hours to do the show. Right. What we, time would the actors get there? Well, let's say was it three thirty that we started? I think three thirty. Yeah. We we take a reading which took approximately one hour, and then a uh, the timing would take one half hour because we would have our script cut down to just about the t- size that we needed. Uh, then we would uh, have a break. Casino, yeah, we had a casino, 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 casino break. Everybody can relax. Uh, then the uh, 
the production rehearsal. That's where we put the sound effects and everything in it. This took one hour and then a half hour for dress rehearsal. And the dress, the dress rehearsal was but it, presumably you'd have everything chopped down to time. Right? That everything was uh, timed uh, the way we used to time it every 15 seconds and at the time at the end of the scene and the time at the beginning of the next scene. And we also backed up from the the closing time that we had to have and we had a deadline that we had to meet uh -huh. which meant we either had to uh, speed them up at times or slow them down we had a system of signals which they all understood and they were different probably from the normal uh, radio station drama they would sort of mixed up actors who we pick up who would come in and they wouldn't understand that when you took your hand and brought it down palm toward them flat that meant slow down and when you turned your hand the other way and brought it up, that meant pick it up. And pick it up, speed it slow up. it down. And when you wanted them to get back to their normal tempo, it was a horizontal move of the hand, which meant go back to normal. How was Blaise Beamer to work with as, a, as an actor and as a man, Chuck? As a man? He directed him for many years. Blaise is, was one of the finest individuals I've ever had the fortunate enough to know and work with. He, he had a heart as big as he was. And uh, he... Well, we, he was a man's man, let's say, and he was opinionated. He, he definitely had his ideas on how certain things should be done. And naturally, in the stress of rehearsals, uh, we used to come to uh, uh, differences of ideas, but Brace's ideas were entirely uh, set on what the Lone Ranger would feel and do. He was the man... Uh, physically, he was the man mentally, and, and he was the Lone Ranger in his heart. He really was. Wasn't yes. he? When, when he went, now I, uh, I talked to Brace Beamer just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, he, I asked him the same thing. Where did Brace Beamer stop and the Lone Ranger start and vice versa? And, and he told me that, uh, no, as soon as he went home, he was no longer the Lone Ranger. But everybody I talked to, all of you people who worked with him, say that was not so, that he was a Lone Ranger he always. Was, he was. Uh, his, his feelings toward people, his interest in people and the things that he did for people uh, followed right straight through with the Lone Ranger's character. He was a great humanitarian. I don't think any of us uh, joke and uh, not recall at one time or another that he hadn't done something for us. He believed it. Sorry, Joe. No, he believed in the ideals of the Lone Ranger. He carried them through in his real in his life outside the uh, studio. Well, you know, the end, I remember, I guess, more about the ending of the Lone Ranger shows than I do now in retrospect about everything else. And as I've mentioned before, I always recall uh, the ending of the show would always end the same way. The evildoers, of course, had, had been brought to justice. And generally, the bad guy was getting arrested by the sheriff and there was another guy there too and the bad guy would look at either the sheriff or the other fella and he would you know be startled yeah. and uh, very put out because he had been taken in by this masked man and he would always say you know who is the masked man could, could we recreate that now with paul and uh, paul hughes and uh, jay michael and raleigh parker raleigh you you be the bad guy okay who's who's getting arrested by the sheriff and, and you're put out paul you be the sheriff and jay you you be the bystander the uh, the town mayor all right. Okay. Now he's Wally. Who was that masked man? He's the masked man. I don't know. Who was he? Who was he? Why, that was the Lone Ranger. <laughs> <laughs>